0: Here we go. It's Law and Gospel on this Friday, June the 16th in the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're replying to emails that we have received. If you want to talk to me or send me a note, my email address is baker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. Real easy to remember. And you can send me a note asking a question, and we'd be glad to try and answer it on Friday. Well, what we received today was out of New Orleans, because the Southern Baptist Convention has refused to welcome Saddleback Church back into its fold. That's really important. Saddleback Church is the second largest congregation in the Southern Baptist Communion. And representatives at their annual meeting rejected not only Saddleback Church being part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but also a similar appeal by a smaller church. Fern Greek Baptist of Louisville, Kentucky, which is led by a female pastor. Yes, the results of the votes on Tuesday were announced Wednesday morning on the concluding day of the annual meeting of the nation's largest Protestant denomination, whose statement of faith now asserts that only qualified men can serve as pastors. Now, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is also having a convention uh, this July, and we'll have about 2,000 people there. But the Southern Baptist Hall was packed with 12,000 Southern Baptists, and they were very quiet after the announcement because they had listened to the earlier urging by the Southern Baptist president, Bart Barber, for them to show restraint. Saddleback had been the denomination's second-largest congregation and was widely touted recently as a success story. The vote was to remove them 9,437 versus 1,212 delegates, or they were known as messengers. They rejected an appeal by the pastor of Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, and he was author of that best selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. We examined it on law and gospel some time ago and found it to be wanting in its theology. He had urged the Baptists to agree to disagree in order to share a common mission. Boy, does that ever sound familiar? Because that's what the St. Louis Seminary had encouraged during the walkout. Let's agree to disagree in order to share a common mission. Now, we do believe that there can be disagreements in the church. For example, how many candles should be on the altar? Some people will just have two candles Others would have seven. Others would have a pair of seven candles. And during Holy Communion, they would be lit. But those congregations that did not do that, were they against the Bible? No. That was an area of disagreement. But when it comes to talking about whether men or women should be pastors, the Bible makes no disagreement there. It says very clearly that only men will be indeed pastors of a Christian congregation. So when the church representatives also voted 9,700 to 806 to deny an appeal by a smaller congregation. That's Fern Greek Baptist Church of Louisville, Kentucky. They have had a female pastor for three decades, but came under heightened security scrutiny this year. The female pastor said, I knew they would uphold the expulsion. However, I guess I'm a bit naive. I did not think it would be that drastic a result. I thought there were more people left in the Southern Baptist Convention who support the autonomy of the local church, if not women in ministry, said the Reverend Linda barnes Profam Fern Greek's pastor. Yes, I would say she was naive because any woman who thinks they are a pastor, it, that woman is going against the word of God, which makes it very clear that only males are to be pastors. All Baptist churches though are independent so the convention can't tell them what to do but it can decide which churches are not in friendly cooperation which is the official verbiage for an expulsion the son of baptist convention statement of faith says the office of pastor is reserved for qualified men, but this is the first time the convention has expelled any churches over it. It really had begun in February when the Southern Baptist Executive Committee voted to oust the two congregations along with three others that chose not to appeal. For having women pastors. Albert Muller, and we've heard him, he's often spoken on issues, etc. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, and he spoke on behalf of the executive committee supporting them in calling for the ouster of Saddleback and Fern Creek. He says it's a matter of biblical authority. The issues were clear and the messengers were clearly united. There was no rancor. That's what Muller said Wednesday after the results were announced. He said this was a real defining moment, making certain that those doctrines must be common among us and publicly acknowledged. For years, questions about women's ministry roles have caused turmoil in the Southern Baptist Convention. On Wednesday, the messengers pressed to make these roles more clear by voting to amend the convention's constitution to specify that Southern Baptist churches must affirm, appoint, or employ only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by scripture. Now for this convention's constitution to be amended, it needs to be approved at the next annual meeting. So, Sarah Clatworthy, a member of Life Point Baptist Church in San Angelo, Texas, advocated for the amendment, calling on the Southern Baptist Convention to shut the door to feminism and liberalism. In a culture that is unclear about the role of men and women, we, she said, have to be crystal clear. We should leave no room for our daughters or granddaughters to have confusion on where the Southern Baptist Convention stands. Now, Rick Warren had been a lifelong Southern Baptist and the church he founded being removed from the denomination was something he might have never expected even though he pushed the boundaries for years. And that was said by Scott Thuma, a sociology of religion professor and director of the Hartford Institute for Religion Research. He said, it's pretty clear from Warren's speech on Tuesday that he did not think that the Southern Baptist Convention was going to reinstate Saddleback. But he has had a problem to say that being Baptist means what the scripture says about women in ministry. Now, following the result, of course, Rick Warren issued a critique of the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said... Then there are people who want to take the Southern Baptist Convention back to the 1950s when white men ruled supreme and when the woman's place was in the home. There are others who want to take it back 500 years to the time of the Reformation. I say we need to take the church back to the first century, the church at its birth, was a church at its best. Now, of course, he thinks there were women pastors in the early church, but scholars have pointed out that not only does the Bible refuse to agree with that, but these women were not considered as pastors. So, the church is now facing possible expulsion, from the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And messengers also addressed sexual advances to give a task force in charge of implementing abuse reforms more time to work. The task force launched last year at the direction of the 2022 annual convention in Anaheim. Pastor of... Baptist Church in Charleston, South Carolina, who leads the task force, announced the creation of a new website which contains a messenger-mandated database of pastors and church workers credibly accused of sex abuse as well as resources for congregation. He said this tracking is necessary because sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention is underreported. We've talked about how in our personal experience of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, we have had pastors removed from the official roster of who is a pastor because of their sexual abuse so this is the big news from the southern baptist convention and it's very important because it's talking about the importance of making sure that churches follow the biblical doctrine of scripture a lot of people think that we have to update scripture because the people in Adam and Eve's day, in Abraham's day, even in Jesus' day, did not understand modern psychology or other such things. Which leads to our second email. This was from Abdu Murray. He was delivering a lecture And he had someone in the audience ask this sincere yet provocative question. It was, I've heard people say that homosexuality and transgenderism are sins. I don't know if they are sins or not, but if they are sins, did God make a mistake in creating homosexuals or transgender people? Wow, that's a pretty good question. It gives one pause, does it not? It's laced with so many implications, stretching from creation to human sexuality, to morality, and to God's very nature. The question may imply that the Bible is incoherent since it claims that God doesn't make mistakes. Yet, people are born with mistaken gender identities and sexual attractions contrary to scripture, and then the Bible condemns them for these mistakes. Perhaps the writer says. Another implication is that we can let God off the hook by reinterpreting the Bible to affirm such experiences. And boy, have we been hearing that these days, where gay groups are saying, well, obviously, God is allowing us because we love each other. Well, of course, That's also what a pedophile says when they disturb little children because of their love for the little children, and at times for the love that even little children give back to them. After all, they say, if we were to say that someone who experiences gender dysphoria or considers themselves transgender. Uh, That means they're born female, but think they're really male or vice versa. That that is sinful. Therefore, that has to be God's mistake. Well, then we would have to say that the whole world is God's mistake because of sin in the world. But that's not the case. And it cannot be justified biblically. But for the sake of discussion only, let's suppose that a person is born with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. Doesn't know if they're male or female. Would that mean that God made a mistake in creating that person? No, God hasn't made mistakes in creating any of us yet it is still coherent for god to hold us to the biblical ethic of limiting sexuality to one man and one woman within the bonds of marriage according to the bible two realities of the human condition confront us according to genesis chapter 1 verse 27 we were made in god's image and yet according to psalm 51 verse 5 we get mired in a sinful condition so in a very real sense we're all born that way we're all inherently and objectively valuable yet broken in every way there is to be broken I'm not broken in some ways, he says. I'm broken in every way, and so are you. Now, who is this Abdu Murray who wrote this email? Well, for most of his life, Abdu was a proud Muslim until he went through a nine-year historical and theological investigation, which pointed him to the Christian faith. He is now a Christian, and is talking to many groups throughout the world. Therefore, he expresses that our brokenness is expressed, whether it's through sexuality, identity, morality, or something else, it is a matter of wading through each individual's circumstances. Regardless, we're all born that way in the sense that we use our free will to go our own way and give full expression to every disposition. God was not mistaken in giving us free will. We have been mistaken in the way that we wield it. Remember Adam and Eve. They had total bliss in the Garden of Eden, but they also had free will to go against God's will, which they did in listening to Satan. And hearing that, well, if we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's not really bad. It's going to make us like God. So God initially created humanity morally innocent but not morally perfect and that's clear from what happened to Adam and Eve. God endowed them with the freedom to reject their abiding bliss in the Garden of Eden. He gave them but one command not to eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. But they disobeyed that command. And over time, Adam and Eve reinterpreted and eventually misstated God's words. When the serpent asked Adam and Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat this? They responded by overstating God's command. Not only should they not eat the fruit, they were not even to touch it. By embellishing God's command, Adam and Eve sought to usurp the divine. The result is the broken world you and I inhabit to this day. You and I do not do any sin that isn't a breaking of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It is the fruit of a poison tree that was planted in the original garden. The truth was that God created Adam and Eve to be with him, but they preferred to be him. The first two people on earth did not believe the truths of God's word. And we inherited not only their pro, post-truth idea of autonomy, but also the resultant broken world. Yes, Adam and Eve made a bad choice amid a garden of bliss. But how much more do we make similarly bad choices amid a garden of woe? In this sense, we are all born that way. And yet we know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. As Christians, we rejoice in that. But we still confess on a Sunday morning that we have sinned by thought, word, and deed. And yet the Bible shows that God makes every effort to bring us back from that cascading brokenness by sending his only son to be broken for us, to pay the debt for what we freely did to ourselves and our world. This is a uniquely Christian truth. Now, embracing that truth doesn't automatically remove or change our broken desires. Rather, abiding in God's grace, being filled by the Holy Spirit, empowers us to resist satisfying those desires with ever greater success. That's Galatians 5.16. God's glory and the blessings he gives to us is that he did not leave us to our broken mess. Every other worldview consigns us to the hopeless task of fixing ourselves. But in sending Jesus, God enters our brokenness to relieve us of the condemnation we rightly deserve. God doesn't want to condemn us for brokenness. He did not create that. Rather, we have taken our God-given free will and used it to shatter our initially innocent world. But God saves us even from brokenness of our own choosing. A fuller understanding of our morality and God's mercy resolves any perceived incoherence of the Christian message. While the real mistakes have been ours, our redemption is from God. That's good news for those who are born that way and that is all of us. Be with us on Monday